welcome once again to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. We are going to talk today about, well, a topic we've talked about before, but maybe approaching it from a slightly different vantage point. We're going to talk about the Me Too movement and this idea today that seems to be gaining strength, that biblical counseling is fueling the abuse of women in churches. Uh, complementarianism is doing that. Elder-led congregations is doing that. Uh, all these biblical things are the, the problems. And, um, you know, I'm not a biblical counselor. I, I've taken courses in biblical counseling for my seminary training, and I'm familiar with biblical counseling. But I really appreciate those who are biblical counselors because they're in the trenches. They're dealing with these concrete situations on a daily basis. They're seeing what's going on out there in the world, in their own congregations and beyond. And, and that's why today I want to introduce everyone to uh, Pastor David Edgington, who runs a ministry called Compassionate Counselors. You can find out more at CompassionateCounselors.com. You don't sound too mean. Compassionate Counselor sounds pretty nice. I, I, so off, off the top here, you know, I, I think uh, th that'll deflate all the leftists who want to uh, rage about uh, your book, which is The Abuse of Wife. That's what we're going to talk about. Um, Pastor Edgington, thank you so much for being willing to come on the podcast talk about this you're welcome thank you for having me so you, you wrote a book called the abusive wife <laughs> one word question why <laughs> why? why would you do this to yourself <laughs> well you know at at the moments when i when i wrote the book i didn't realize how much attention it would get um i was actually published back in 2015 which is um you know a whole different world in some ways but um the reason I wrote the book is very simple, is that there's nothing from a biblical perspective on women being abusive to men. It's almost without fail the, the other way around. And um, as I, you know, I just did a search because I kept finding situations. I find plenty of situations with men that are abusive to wives. It's not a, a one-sided issue, but um, I found nothing that addressed women that were abusive to their husbands. And so I had counseled a number of, a number of men that were in that situa situation, a number of women as well. And um, uh, I just needed some help. So I did some research and my book has a lot of stories in it that are all true stories. I've changed the names to protect people, but every story that I mentioned in the book literally happened. And I either saw it firsthand or um, counseled people and they verified it. So I think it's, it's hard for people to conceive of the idea that a, a woman can be abusive and maybe a little bit into the podcast, we'll talk about the difference between abuse and reviling. Reviling is actually the better and more biblical term for it. But, you know, we live in a culture now, John, that, that largely um, men are ridiculed, men are mocked, men are generally portrayed as buffoons, and they deserve to be mistreated by women. This is kind of the, the, the talking point that's, that goes on. So if a man claims to be mistreated by a woman, it's generally thought, well, he just deserves it. And... Um, for instance, here's, here's a situation. If a wife is angry at her husband, what people will often say is, well, what did the husband do to make the wife so angry at him? 
but you switch it around and now let's say the husband is angry at the wife then they say well why doesn't this husband deal with his anger you know so we we, we bring about a double standard it's it's a blatant um hypocritical double standard but many people don't see it many people don't want to see it they don't want to even acknowledge it um a second issue that I see is that women are often viewed as the fairer sex, that, you know, they sin less than men, they're better than men, they're, and, and you know, that Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's nothing biblical that can uh, support that contention that women are the fairer sex, and there's also nothing that in practice that we see that necessarily either. Um so a third, a third issue that I see with the whole idea of abusive wives is that somehow we, we as a society think that it's somehow unmanly or unmasculine for men to claim that women can be wicked towards them. And many men won't say anything about this, mainly because they're afraid of being stigmatized and they're afraid of being judged as weak or wimpy or, you know, not strong enough. And then you add to that many churches believe, you know, they, or they actually, they refuse to believe that women can abuse men. And this is, this is across the board. This is not just in, in, um, uh, complementarian or patriarchal churches. This is in, this is an egalitarian and feminist churches that women just can't possibly be, be that way towards men. But interestingly, I've counseled a number of pastors who have married women that were that way towards them. And then these men begin to see it clearly. Um, yeah, that's I fascinating. Keep, I can keep going, John. There's a, there's a lot of things I could, I could say about this. Well, I don't want to yeah, I mean, I have conversation, but jump in with some questions. Yeah, if you want. I have a number of questions based on what you just said. Uh, the first being... You mentioned that reviling is a better term than abuse. So I, I've always been uncomfortable since the Me Too movement got going with even using the term abuse, because I know there is such thing as abuse and there's a legal definition for what constitutes abuse. But it's so uh, general now that it gets applied to everything. And adulterous affairs are now abusive if there's a power disparity and it happens to be a man who's participating, who's uh in the position of authority or even maybe just because they're a man. And I'm like, that's not abuse. Um, you said reviling those, the more biblical term. Why would you use the word revile instead of abuse uh, as a substitute? Good biblically? question. <clears throat> now, the first reason, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that I, I prefer the term revile and yet I, I named my book, the abusive wife. Right. Seems like a contradiction at first, but the reason I did that is that most people don't know what the word revile means. Even Christians, they're unfamiliar with the term. So I thought I have to use a term that people are more familiar with. And then in the first chapter of the book, first two chapters of the book, I explain why reviling is a more precise and accurate term. Because abuse is broad. Abuse can be physical abuse. Abuse can be sexual abuse. Abuse can be uh, verbal abuse. It can, it can emotional abuse. There, there's, you know, there's a variety of things, and it gets misused as well, misapplied. But the term revile, I believe it's loiterero in, in the in the Greek, is the verbal mistreatment of someone else, and it is very very clear and explicit in Scripture that this is a very serious offense. It's not something light. It's not just you know you lose your cool once. 
Um, in John chapter 9, the man that was born blind, the, it was said that the Pharisees reviled him. So they're using words as a, I like to say it as a non-contact weapon. It's, it's beating someone verbally. Um, 1 Corinthians 4.12, Paul says, when we are reviled, we bless. So it's kind of the antithetical approach to, uh, to life. Um, Jesus Christ in 1 Timothy 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And, uh, and maybe one of the most glaring ones is uh, Matthew 15.4, where it says, whoever reviles his mother or father is to be put to death. So obviously it's a very serious, serious issue. But if we just call it abuse, anybody can say this is abuse. Anybody can can use that. And um, some examples of reviling behavior in scripture, they're all over the place and not just for men. There's reviling all over the Proverbs with women who revile um, their, their husbands. Proverbs 19, 13, a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Uh, Proverbs 21, 9 and 25, 24. It's actually repeated in the Proverbs, it's better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Uh, Proverbs 21, 19, it's better to live in a desert land than with, than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. So, you know, so it's all over the word of God, Proverbs 27, 15 and 16. And Proverbs 14, 1 probably describes it the best where it says that the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. So now to clarify, and so that you or I don't get accused of what we're not saying, John, is that I'm not saying that all women are revilers. It is certainly not the case. The vast majority are not reviling wives, but they are out there. And there's a lot more than we tend to believe. I see them in counseling. I see them all the time. It's, it's a sad and tragic thing, and mostly pastors won't recognize it. They just kind of give a pass to the wife. But as you noticed, you, you noted earlier that the name of this ministry is Compassionate Counselors. We're not, we're not out looking to stigmatize women. We're out there to help people with compassionate biblical help and say the Word of God addresses these things. The other thing that we should say about reviling before we get off of that topic is that reviling is grounds for church discipline. And yet I cannot think of a single church I know of that has ever done discipline for someone for reviling. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, shows that among other sins, the sin of reviling is listed there as, as one of those. Jonathan Edwards even preached a sermon on this topic called The Nature and End of Excommunication, end being in a sense of the goal of excommunication, that he said that this kind of discipline should be done when there is no reason to hope for repentance by gentler means. So the reviling wife does not respond to a gentle approach. I always give people compassionate help. I'm always gentle with them. But the reviling wife does not respond to that. So that doesn't mean I get angry at them. I, I, 
I really get saddened by them and I get saddened for the husband as well. But um, the reviling wife is bitter. She's unforgiving. She's controlling. She's harsh. She's abrasive. She's unsubmissive. She's cruel and malicious. And there are women like that out, out there. And there are women in our churches like that. And it's a, it's a tragic thing. Now, you wrote your book in, I think, 2015. At least that's when it was published, right? Which is, a, I think, before the Me Too movement, like right before the Me Too movement started. Correct. And now that we're on the other side of that, I'd, I'd say we're still, we're in the institutionalization phase of the Me Too movement. They've had their activist stage, and now we're in the institutionalist stage where this is now being ingrained everywhere in policies and procedures. Sure. And what you say runs so counter to that because the narrative is that women by definition are the oppressed in any kinds of situations that involve uh, abuse, reviling, et cetera. And what you're saying is that actually you made a telling statement earlier that the problem seems to run in the other direction as far as the institutional church. And, and I'm assuming the United States is concerned because you said that, the church tends to uh, not categorize women who are revilers in that way. They don't police it. They don't detect it, perhaps even. Uh, right. they, there's a, the they stigma it, runs. They give it a pass. They, they give it a pass and they let the man, um, well, or they, they, they are free to condemn men for their sins, but there's, uh, the, the wind is blowing in the direction against men in general, which I think... I think those with common sense who ha have concrete examples that they just examine their lives, they know this to be the case. Not that the, there aren't situations of abuse of husbands, because there are, or, or husbands who revile. Absolutely. Right. I mean, they're, they're, it, but women aren't exempt from that. They also have a sin nature. And, and I can even think of my own personal life of some of the stories I know and, and in, in my life, um, in divorce situations, especially child custody battles. I'm not saying that I have any stats on this. Maybe you do, but it seems like more often than not, the wives are the most aggressive and or ex-wives, uh, the most nasty. Um, and, and that's in my experience. Okay. My experience is limited though. If I listen to the mainstream media or Hollywood or, uh, even those on the woke left in Christian circles, I would think that I'm, I shouldn't believe my eyes. I shouldn't believe my ears. I should just realize that th this is an anomaly and in fact what's actually happening across the board is it's men that are exclusively abusing uh reviling women right. so why don't you just talk to that for a moment about where do you see this evidence uh and i know you see it in the word of god but where where else do you see that this is going on is this showing up in your counseling sessions it definitely is john I, last year i did a a study uh, just an informal study of the counseling situations that I did where there was abuse or, or let's use the word reviling behavior in the marriage, that that was what was going on in the marriage. That was the main problem in the marriage. And this is going to sound strange to a lot of people, but what I found was 87% of those marriages were reviling wives, not reviling husbands. Now, of course, 13 percent, they were reviling husbands. And that's that, that's, you know, we're, I'm not saying that men don't do the same thing. But what I am saying is that often the wives get away with it because they 
they pour on the tears, they pour on the charm, they're nice in front of the counselor. And, and, you know, um, it is a, it is a growing problem. It was a problem back in 2015 when I wrote my book. Now it is off the charts. I actually have an online support group and I want to give a shout out to all my brothers in my support group. I know they're going to listen to this podcast. Um, guys all over the country that have contacted me because of the book that I wrote. And they, every one of them says the same thing. They say, you wrote this book as if you had a video recorder in my house. You know exactly what was going on. You wrote this book and you describe what it feels like exactly the way that, that I feel. Um, and these are all good men. They're, they're sweet men. They're godly men. They're gentle men. This is the, these are the traits of a man that is likely to find a reviling wife. Gentle, kind, compassionate, soft. Maybe tends more on the passive side than the aggressive side. He's not an angry man. He's, um, you know, he, he's sweet. He's loving. He loves his family. He loves his kids. Those are the ones that the reviling wife actually targets and finds, and she goes after him. So these men, we, you know, we we're in constant contact with each other, email or Zoom meetings and things like that, just to talk about things. And all of these men have the same story. It, it's, it's uncanny how similar the story is. Yeah. So let's talk yeah. a little, I want to talk a little about the Me Too movement, because I want to address that too. Yes. That was, uh, that was not that was not an issue when I wrote the book, but as you said, it's yeah. Kind of just, Let yeah. me just make one point though, because what you just said, right. if that carry, I mean, we don't have, I guess, the data that we would need to right, uh, right. to yeah, really figure out exact numbers. Study. Yeah, I haven't done any in-depth studies. I'm just right. talking about me myself, what I've seen in counseling. No, and I know that, but but here's what I wanted to say: that we are often. Uh, we are often given the stat that uh, I think it's like one in four girls or one in three girls is going to be raped at some point in their life. And it's this rape culture that uh, men are, you know, they're they're involved in. And, and, and of course, that's that's not a, an accurate statistic. And I've made that case on the podcast here before, but we're told to accept that. And then we're told not just accept it, but change all your institutional policies wherever you are. We need to even change laws. To account for this, we need to um, police these men, right? And and I think we should police men for their sin, but it's the it's on the basis of this idea that we have an epidemic, that it's systemic, right? Mm -hmm. If what you said is true, right, then there's another problem that's completely being ignored, and you won't ever see a, a policy on it. It won't. It, it's not even detected, and you're not allowed to detect it. And as soon as you do. You'll probably be called some names or something. You'll, you're a misogynist, or and, and so th this is just it's it's fascinating to me to see the political angle of all this and how much politics influences the way that we even approach counseling situations. Um, why don't you talk about the Me Too movement and how you because you just mentioned that it has it's off the charts. Uh, the right. reviling women has the Me Too movement fueled that. You know, I, I'm I'm going to assume that the Me Too movement started out with good intentions. I, I don't think I don't think necessarily it had anything evil in in its goals. In fact, in some ways, I think it was important because I think a lot of men got away with wicked behavior towards women, and there was no accountability for for this, and nothing happened. 
And this is a tragedy and it's sin and it's, and it's wicked that men have done this for so long. But I think what's happened over the years that, 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 I've, that I've seen, I, I think what has taken place with the Me Too movement is it's been hijacked by the Marxist critical theorists. You know, so just just like in in if we're talking about race, race, for instance, um, that, uh, you know, there's the belief with the with the critical theorist that that, OK, everything is structured to oppress people of a certain race, typically black, black people. And it's systemic and it's it's widespread and we have to destroy and burn down the structures. I see the same exact thing with what we're talking about here with reviling women is that here we're talking about all men are toxic. It's systemic and we have to burn down the system and it pushes back against men being the heads of their homes. It pushes back against complementarianism, patriarchal families. It's, um, you know, it's become convenient for feminists in particular, and certainly not all women, to buy into this because this kind of thinking permeates society and it's, and it's creeping in in all of these different areas. And it does seem like a political movement, but, but really it's, it's more than that. I mean, I think Marxism is, is way more than just a political movement. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a move of the enemy himself. So... Um, so I think that's the one, one thing that I would say about, about the Me Too movement. It has some important components to it. It's, it's holding men accountable. But now it's become basically a witch hunt that any man that hurts a woman in any way emotionally is, is an abuser, is, a, is toxic. It's like, you know, our feelings are not sovereign. We can't just say, well, I feel, therefore, what you did is, is wrong. You know, that's a dangerous and deadly way for us to operate. See, we should not blindly believe all men, nor should we blindly believe all women. We have to investigate. We have to look into these things. We have to examine them biblically. And one of the things that, that I see that um, furthers this idea is the concept of counseling people individually rather than counseling them together because it sets up the gossip it sets up that the narrative has already been determined and there's no way to 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 go around it in other words if a, if a wife comes to me and says my husband's abusing me he's what's he doing well he's verbally saying verbally saying you know he's doing this I'm not talking about physical abuse not talking about sexual talking about just verbal then, then, you know, the counselor needs to talk to both parties. This is the way our, you know, this is the way our, our country is founded. You know, you're innocent until proven guilty, but the Me Too movement is basically you're guilty until you can prove you're innocent. And everyone knows you can't prove your innocence. Hey, friends, we'll get back to the podcast in a moment. I just want to share with you a sponsor for this particular podcast, Covenant Academy Online. They have great resources for you as a homeschool mom or dad or a Christian school principal or teacher. Uh, 50 courses that can be administered to your students, uh, your children, and uh, in ways that really will assist you. I mean, it's two classroom teachings a week, 50 minutes each. Uh, it's for grades 4 through 12, so it runs the gamut. 
uh, the grading of assignments is provided in this with comments back to help your child or your student improve. Access to an instructor via email, report cards and grade transcripts are uh, issued and available. And, and these are just things that I know, especially if you're new to homeschooling, which many people are considering 2020, really inspired a jump in homeschooling. These are many things that are, are just hard to, to get a, a rhythm going on. Uh, initially, well, Covenant Academy Online can help with that. Uh, you can go to covenantacademyonline.com and uh, it'll give you the information on how to enroll. Uh, you can email them at online education at covenantacademyonline.com to find out more. And here's the kicker. It's all free, technically speaking. Now, they suggest donating because the worker is worthy of his wages, but there's no charge. There's no tuition for this. This is uh, to help you understand uh, uh, your child or your student understand the subjects that are offered. And there's many subjects that are offered. Just go to their catalog, uh, by discipline. We'll do it this way this time. Uh, I've, I've shown you by grade before, but you have government history, language, literature, mathematics, philosophy, science. Let's click on philosophy. And, uh, we have Bible, we have old Testament, new Testament, we have apologetics, we have Christian worldview training, biblical foundations of law. That one looks interesting. So I clicked on that one. It says, uh, in the description, a lively analysis of the law of God covering a seemingly arid territory in the Bible. The student will learn how to the precepts of the Lord relate to everyone's life. And it goes on. I mean, this is great stuff. This is for a 12th grader, this particular course. Um, and uh, and the required textbooks are right there. So, I mean, you will have to spend money to get the required textbooks. But this is a steal. Uh, I, I would just suggest uh, checking it out. Go to covenantacademyonline.com today. Uh, all right. So you're a counselor. So walk me through a scenario then. Um, there's this reviling category isn't often detected because I think um, sexual abuse, physical abuse, things that would more likely involve law enforcement or should involve law enforcement are, Correct. Correct. Uh, are, are obviously those should get the headlines in a way. Those should be uh, <clears throat> dealt with in very direct and very quick ways. And, and it's, it's more subtle, I think, the reviling, but it is damaging. And this is what I do want people to see. I've seen it in friends that I have in their lives. It is disheartening in ways that I think those who don't experience it are very, they find it very hard to grasp. So walk me through the, the reviled husband who comes into your office. What does he say to you? What does he describe as going on at home? What do you say to him in how to navigate and deal with that situation? Okay. Let me, uh, let me go through some things. I, as I've, uh, I've taken some, some thoughts down on that because I figured you would ask that kind of a question. First of all, what I, what I would say, and I alluded to it earlier, is that unless there is physical danger... Uh, sexual uh, abuse going on, I request that the husband and wife come together for counseling. Even if it seems like it's one-sided, even if it seems like, nope, he's evil, she's evil, it doesn't matter. It's like, I need to hear you both. I need to hear both from both of you what's going on. Tell me what's, tell me what's happening. And the, um, uh, when we get into the reviling wife category, Here's some of the things that I hear from, from the wife. 
She says, I want my independence from him. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I don't need a man to be happy. I want to live my own life. And I don't like the traditional family. Being a mother is not a fulfilling role. So those are kind of warning signs for me. When I hear things like that, I go, okay, we've got the makings of something that that has potential big problems here. There's already a disorder in this marriage. There's already a misunderstanding of, of what these roles look like. Um, some of the traits of a reviling wife that uh, these, are, these are actually in my book is that she insists on control. She wants control of everything. And um, she insists on her husband thinking a certain way. He, she wants him to agree with her about everything. And if he doesn't agree with her, then he hates her. Then he dislikes her. Then he's, you know, he's a, he's a, bad, he's a bad husband. He's a bad man. And um, nearly every, well, I probably would say every situation I've counseled, that's been one of the predominant things, that the wife insists on controlling everything in the home. Now, again, just as a caveat, I counsel people where the men are that way. They want to control everything, too, and that's not godly either. But we're talking about the reviling wife now. Um, intimidation. Now, usually the, the reviling wife is not bigger, is not stronger than her husband, but she resorts to verbal intimidation. I've counseled families where the husband is, you know, six foot five and the wife is four foot ten, and she scares him to death. She just terrorizes him in a in a multitude of ways. And see, and most people look at that and they say, Well, what, what's she gonna do to you? You know, she's this little bitty thing. She's 90 pounds, soaking wet, and you're this big hulking, you know, professional athlete. What what can she do? You have no idea what that is like. And again, if you remember what I said earlier about the men, they're kind, they're gentle, they're sweet, they're loving, they're compassionate. They're not angry, you know, harsh and aggressive men. So, you know, so they're not going to just squash their wives, but the wife sees that. And she says, I can control him. I can intimidate him. I can, I can manipulate him. Um, often the wife has a seared conscience, 1 Timothy 4.2 and 2 Timothy 3.7 talks about this. She lacks empathy, doesn't have a conscience about what she's doing. There's no humility in her heart. There's no sorrow. There's no sadness over how she's treating her husband. No guilt over the, the cruelty that she's doing. Sex is used as a weapon in the marriage. Uh, now, this can, this can work two different ways. It can be the wife denying her husband of sex saying, you know, you're all you do is all you want is sex every day, every day. That's all. That's all you want. And the husband says, I, I, I love my wife. I'm not demanding. I'm not, you know, insisting on this, but just simply desiring intimacy with my wife is a, is a horrible thing. So the reviling wife will use it that way. She'll re refuse to have any type of physical connection with him at all, even holding hands. But it can also be used the other way, where I've counseled families where the wife is just absolutely wicked to the husband all day long, and then she entices him 
and and, and it allures him in, into bed. Now, again, I've seen men do the same thing with their wives. They verbally thrash their wives, and then they want to be intimate with them. And the wife's like, what, are you kidding me? Right. So the same thing happens with wives towards their husbands. The same. Right. Why would we think it's different? Why would we say that the sexes are so different on things? Sin is sin in, in, in a man's heart and in a woman's heart. It's the same, the same tactics, the same things that you see men doing to women. Women now feel the fancy word now is empowered to do it. Now right. we've got freedom. Now, now we can treat men the way they've been treating us. And I go, wow, it's like a revenge and a bitterness in the heart of some women. Now, the other thing I want to say, too, is that I've often found that women that were sexually molested as children or they've been through some deep, deep trauma as little girls, as young, as young women, often that is what animates this reviling behavior, whether it's the, the sexual issues or the violence issues or the bitterness issues or things like that. But again, there's freedom in Christ with that. There's wonderful, amazing freedom in, in the Lord in that. So sometimes that's what that's what animates it. So again, we're not just, I mean, believe me, I'm not trying to throw women under the bus. I'm just trying to help men that are suffering and nobody hears them. Nobody listens to them. And I think that's why people like Jordan Peterson, who obviously not a Christian or a biblical counselor in any stretch of the imagination is so popular that just the acknowledgement that yes, women are capable of hurting men too. It's not just something that men can do uh, to women. Um, You know, I, I'm thinking of examples as you were giving those illustrations of uh, people that I've known in my own life who uh, describe, they fit perfectly into that template that you just uh, described for us. You know and, what's, what else is funny, John? I'm just yeah. to interrupt you. What I have found is that other women who are not reviling women, to them, they believe it. They say, oh, yeah, I know there's reviling wives out there. I know, I know women like that. Women say, I know other women like that. They readily see it more than men do. Really? When you you think about, you know, people. Yeah, that that, makes sense, actually. When you think about people that fight, physically fight, okay, you know, you and I fight and we, you know, we go at it. And then we say, okay, let's, let's be buddies now. Let's go on. Let's move on. Typical men, yeah. We got, we got it handled and addressed. You know, I mean, I've never done that, but I know that's (laughs) kind of the male thing. What happens when women fight? Oh boy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ugly. It's screaming. It's, it's hair pulling. It's, and, and I'm going to hate you the rest of your life. You know, women have that tendency to be more bitter than men in that way that they, they don't let go. They, they never forget. And so it's, it's believable from that perspective that, yeah. that it's very common, but it's, I've had women that read my book, the abusive wife, and those women are not abusive. They're not reviling. And they read it. They say, I know a bunch of women like this. And then I've had men that have read my book that don't have a, an abusive wife. They say, I can't picture this at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and every, every man who's been in that kind of marriage, like I said, they say, this is me. This is exactly what I've experienced by my wife or my ex-wife. Yeah. I'm grateful. So I, I have a good wife, which I'm grateful for. She's not a reviling <laughs> wife and uh, makes me more grateful talking to you about that. But she'll sometimes she'll observe things in social situations. She'll later say something about another 
girl or she'll notice something that and, and I it totally went over. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she can see things in their relationship because she's got the I don't know, the, the detection equipment for that. Whereas I just don't. I only see what's right in front of me. Right, um, right. And, and and you as a male counselor, you know, you, you've had so many situations. I'm assuming you can detect uh, more easily uh, those kinds of dynamics. Um, what do you say to, I mean, or actually, let me, let me back up and say this. What kind of hope can you offer uh, to people out there? First, the husband, then the wife, the husband who's been reviled or is being reviled. And, and then the wife who um, is reviling your husband. I mean, have you seen these situations turn around and healthy marriages form? It's, it's very slow. It's very difficult. And a lot of times, see here, let, let me back up a second. Often the reviling wife or the reviling husband, they're not born again. That's the first problem. They might act like they are. They might be religious people. They might go to church, but they're not born again. And, 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 and that's been my experience almost across the board. There's been some exceptions, but almost across the board. So that's the first, the first difficulty with this is that they, they live this hypocritical life and they act like they're born again, but they're not. So, you know, so until they are convicted about that and see that, boy, I, I'm just, I'm living a double life, you know, they're, they're not going to get help. They're just going to get more and more angry. I've had, I've had husbands and wives where I counseled and I just gently, very gently approach some things with the wife to hold her accountable. Again, compassionate counselors. And there have been a number of times I can think of right now where the wife is so furious, she gets up, storms out of my office, slams the door and goes sit in the car and, and, and waits for her husband. And it's like, what, what happened to, you know, what happened? And the husband says that happens to me all the time. Wow. And, and, and I go, it's, it's so sad. She's, she's running away from someone that's going to help her because I have seen people helped, but a lot of the wives that just bought into the, the, the idea that no, now you're a toxic male too. You're just like my husband. You're, and I've had wives that get mad at their husbands for not defending them in the off in my office i said yeah. why, why would your husband defend you what you did is wrong I, I wonder you know you it's always a curiosity <laughs> right you know, ask your husband for forgiveness i mean i do the same thing with the husband towards the wife that you know that was harsh what you said there you know you know address that biblically right it, it's always a curiosity to me when i see uh, a relationship that fits the description you gave I wonder, like the first question is, why did you two get married? You know, what what, what happened along the way to cause, and, and it must be that this takes time, as you said, to get out of. It also takes yeah. time to develop, to get to this don't, point. Don't see it. You think the best. It's it's just right. like a naive woman that marries a bad boy and she says, well, I'll change him. Right, right. Yes, that's right. good. That's good. You know? And so but, the same thing that guys say, well, she's a little rough on the edges, but, you know, I'm kind of a sweet and gentle guy and she's a little bit more direct. OK, maybe she'll round things out and we'll we'll make this better than just me. It's like, no. Yeah. And it takes years before you see it. And sometimes 10, 20, 30 years. And then you go, oh, my, what what's wrong with me? And that's what happens with these men. They say, what is wrong with me? Why? 
why does my wife treat me this way? And I go, brother, it's not what you are doing. You're right. not causing this problem. This is in her heart. And she has to be held accountable for her heart so that she can Absolutely. be free. But she's, she's trapped in the bitterness. You know, Hebrews 12 talks about that, that the roots of bitterness that defiles many, you know, that's, that's where she's trapped. She's so bitter of, over something in life. You know, it could be a variety of things. Could be, like I said, being sexually molested as a child. It could be that her father was, was harsh verbally with her. It could be that, um, you know, she wanted to have a, a great career and now she's just a homemaker. And I go, that, that's, a, that's an incredible, incredible gift, a, a mother staying home with her children and, and raising them. But some women are resentful of that. And again, they listen to the culture rather than the word of God and, and their hearts get hardened and their hearts get yeah. sound. Yeah. It, it, so what you said earlier, though, struck such a chord with me because that's so true that men do see more easily when, when a girl wants to marry a bad boy. And, and you look at the guy and you can just I, I, this happened actually funny enough just the other day with my wife and I. She was showing me uh, it was pictures online. So you can, how much can you judge from a picture? You know, not not a lot, but. But, but enough that I detected things in the picture, how, how a man presented himself. And it, it was a few pictures, um, you know, w w down to like his hairstyle and everything else. And I, I looked at it and I said, OK, that that guy, I don't know what it is about him specifically. I can't even quantify it quite for you. But I, I know that there's there. Th this is a good girl. And I and I know that she's seeing that this is a rebel. This is a rugged kind of guy. And. I can just I, I can just tell looking at this, this isn't the kind of guy she should be with. I, and I'm like, I don't need to see it. And, and my wife's like, what are you talking about? Like, how could I be judgmental? And I'm like, I just call it male intuition. But but what you're saying is that that does work the other way. The female intuition of seeing, OK, you know, that woman over there is going to be a reviler. Um, do you think that passive men, you said were part of the issue, is one of the solutions to this developing men or training uh raising and um equipping men to be more active taking leadership roles to just avoid the scenario w would that avoid the scenario yeah the the scenario has to be that men need to be raised in godly homes with strong male leadership godly leadership not oppressive but godly leadership and and, and men need to learn what it means to uh to be a man um, you know, Matt Walsh asked, what is, what is a woman? I think, well, okay, what is, what is a man? You know, what does it mean to be a man that, um, we, we need to do more in, in that area because that's, that's where it has to start that, that, um, cause once, once you're married, it's, it's, you know, now learning it is going to be a, an uphill battle, but, uh, you know, learning how to be a godly man, how to be a godly you know, a leader, a servant of your home, not a not a pushover type of a servant, but a man that says, OK, I want to love my wife, love my children. How do I do that? And I, you know, I've worked with a lot of men like that as well, that how do I love my wife in the right way? I've written a book on that and that aspect, too. It's called Romancing Your um, Romancing Your Wife, Romancing Your Savior or Romancing Your Spouse, Romancing Your Savior. It's also available on, on Amazon. It's kind of the opposite. It's kind of the opposite side of the abusive wife. It's like, okay, if there's abusive wives out there, here's what a wife should be. 
if there's abusive husbands out there, here's what the husband should be, just to help to balance that out. And I go through the Song of Songs to demonstrate that because the book, the Song of Songs is a unique book in scripture that it's a parallel relationship between the husband and wife, and it's mirrored in the individual saints and Jesus Christ. And so when you read those, those things in the Song of Songs, it applies in both areas. This is how I love my wife. Oh, this is how I love my Savior. This is the, the relationship that should be cultivated and developed there, too. So you're absolutely right. I mean, we have to do a better job of raising godly men, young godly men. I didn't have that privilege. I didn't grow up in a believing mm. home, so I, you know, I, did, I didn't have that. But, um, you know, I'm... I've been given the ability by God to to help many men. I didn't I didn't even grow up as a Christian. So and I'm like, why am I why am I even a Christian? It doesn't even make sense I'm a Christian, let alone a pastor and a biblical counselor. So I go, well, that's that's a miracle of God's God's amazing grace in itself. Absolutely. But, yeah. If Paul could be saved after, you know, being participating in stoning of Christians, yeah, then no one's yeah. beyond the pale. Uh all right, so you have uh, this website, CompassionateCounselors.com. Is that a place people can go to, uh, I don't know, if you do Zoom sessions or get counseling? I do. I do. You some do? Zoom sessions. Yep, I, I counsel people all over the country. And um, so it's not a, not a problem at all. Zoom or FaceTime, whichever works best for them. Um, and um, the other thing I wanted to mention, too, this is kind of interesting. You'll... you'll um, You'll resonate with this probably. When I tried to get my book published, I couldn't find a Christian publisher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I had Jay Adams wrote a wrote a recommendation of the book. You know, you probably know who Jay Adams yeah. is, father of the modern biblical counseling movement. I mean, he loved the book and he and he wrote this very kind review of that. And I thought, great, this this will help us get published. Yeah, slam dunk. And, and nobody would touch it. The things I heard off the record were, well, this is too controversial. We can't publish this because it's too controversial. I heard another publisher say, well, the women in our reading groups were kind of put off by it. So they, you know, I'm not sure this is a good idea. And then others would say, I don't think this is a big enough problem. <laughs> so, so, and even since then, I've had men that have gone to Christian publishers and say, you need to publish this book so that it gets a wider, wider yeah. audience and they won't touch it. And I go, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not doing this to make money. I'm not doing this to get fame and notoriety. I'm just doing this to help men. It, well, it, I mean, it looks like it's, I'm on the Amazon page right now and it looks like you've gotten a fair amount of ratings. It looks like my ratings where it's like you either love it or hate it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a good picture to look at the ratings on Amazon because you've got some one star ratings. It's like this person obviously never even read the book. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm looking at the first negative review. Um, the author should be honest about why he wrote this. Men are capable of being abusive. I'm like, <laughs> of course you believe that men are capable. So they haven't read it. I didn't even read the introduction because I said that in the introduction. I said, you know, this is, you know, this is not to give license to men to abuse women. That's not why I wrote this book. So, right. 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 But yeah, it's it's either great or it's terrible. And I go, okay, if you read it. Well. I mean, I, I appreciate your bravery. Um, you're not one of those passive men you described because putting out a book like this means you're going to take some arrows and maybe after being on this podcast, you'll take some more. I don't know. Hopefully, though, a lot of people who have been either experiencing the situation you described or um, could use resources uh, in their counseling can can get in touch with you and get your resources and uh, that can help them. Uh, that That's the, the goal of this. But 
but it takes bravery to put something like this out in the public domain. So I appreciate that. I, I love to highlight people in the church who are brave. We, we have a dearth of that. And, um, you know, it's funny. You know, it's funny. I don't I don't even see it as bravery or courage. I just look at it and say, well, why would I not want to talk about what God talks about? This is simply yeah. what the word of God teaches. And I go, why would I why would I shy away from that? It's a problem. It's not being addressed. It's hurting people. We have to help. Them. Yeah, we got to have compassion I mean, for people. You know, that's absolutely. that's I appreciate the compliment. I don't mean to criticize you on that, but. But I never really looked at it as, oh, boy, I'm taking a bold stand here. I'm going, no, this is just something. Nothing's nothing's talking about this. No one is right. no one's discussing it. So it's funny. There's a lot of secular groups that have been talking more about this issue. Yeah. The, and that's me. Oh, we don't have really time, but I'd love to. <laughs> Christian groups, no biblical groups. I go, that's such not? an astute observation. Yeah, that that is. And it's Jordan Peterson's only one of them. I know there's this sort of dark web, conservative dark web, they call it, where a lot of these guys are having long form conversations with each other. Uh, even the, even the Joe Rogan type people, they, they're talking about things that have been were taboo. Joe Rogan and, has talked about this topic on his, on oh, his has he? yeah, he has. I go, how about that? Yeah. And, and it's Why funny. Anybody, that, and even biblical counselors aren't, to be honest with you, John, right. The, the same right. group I'm part of, I can't get any traction with them either. I've, I've appealed, I've sent them the books. I've, had people that I've counseled and men that have read the book. And, and it's like, yeah, I don't think so. They're going, what? Yeah, that's so interesting. I've seen that same disparity of bravery and I've wondered, it should be more present in the Christian church. And I'm wondering if this is my working theory on it, that in God's, in Christ's pure, true church, it does exist. There is bravery. But when you get to certain levels, when you climb that platform of the institutions that we enjoy now in our successful uh, modern state, mo modern situation, um, th there's a disincentive for the men who are truly brave to gain, to reach those higher positions. And so those representing Christians tend to not look like that. But I think there's plenty in the rank and file who, who will say things, who are brave and uh, so it's, it's fascinating to me. And then, and then you have podcast. Well, I mean, this is an example. Even this podcast uh, is, is the equivalent of maybe those um, th those taboo podcasts that are now existing in the secular world. Only this is happening in a Christian uh, kind of world. Right. So, I mean, it, the word is getting out there. And Can um, I ask you, how did you find yeah. my book? I'm just curious. How did you find uh, someone sent it to me? Some well, so someone on uh, Gab, which is one of the social media platforms I have messaged me and just said, you need to get. Uh, David Edgington on your show because he's written this book. And so I started looking into it and I thought, wow, this guy is saying what no one's saying. And I think it's important to show this other side, especially when I feel like all I'm doing is playing defense, like with the Me Too stuff. It's right. constant defense of accusation. And, and that's no way to construct a movement. Uh, not that that's what I'm even doing, but it, it's no way to, to win, I guess, to, to, win the argument is if you're always on defense. And I think one of the key parts of this, and it's not the only part, but what you presented, whether knowingly or not, serves to show that the, the basic biblical doctrine that all are sinful, that doctrine is what's going to be part of a solution to this Me Too crisis. Absolutely. Because they're assuming that men are more sinful somehow. Even if they say that that's not what they're doing, that's exactly what they're doing. And and white people in particular are more sinful than minorities. And, you know, it's it, the whole intersectional framework. Yep. And so 
recovering that doctrine means sometimes I think specifically pointing out those alleged victim classes have their own sin. And it, it's just, we don't detect it. We're not allowed to talk about it, but you're talking about it. So anyway, that's the long answer, but um, Hey, I appreciate you coming on talking about this compassionate counselors.com for those who are interested. Uh, Pastor David Edgington, and uh, you can pick up his book, the abusive wife there. It's also on Amazon. God bless you with your work and uh, forward me any of the hate mail you get. I'd love to read it too. <laughs> <laughs> same, same your way, John. Forward anything you want to say. I'd be, I'd be interested to, to read that. But, but let's just pray that God advances his kingdom through what we've done today. That's, that's our goal. We want to really advance the kingdom of God, help people that are struggling, whether it's men or women. And, um, you know, in this case, we're talking about men that have been suffering for years and nobody, nobody listens to them. Nobody hears them. So we yes. want to, we want, we want that hearing to go out. Just one other small thing to, sure. to piggyback onto this is an issue called parental alienation. It's another avenue that is a subset of this where the spouse turns the children against the other spouse and just makes this false narrative towards the, the other parent. Often it's the wife doing that to the husband, and the children are cut off. The husband never sees his kids again. That's another podcast, John. But Yes, yeah, you're, uh, you're giving a cliffhanger ending here, so we'll have to do another one. But uh, yeah, I've seen that scenario play out. So um, anyway, thank you so much once again. God bless. God bless you, John. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.